podcast i'm here i am matt i'm john i am here i am steve did i confuse I, I thought, you well i thought it, that was the thing that you were yeah, doing i don't know you did, just, that you did then. i did i did do it so i actually I, did it and i was doing it then now now i did it wait um, wait am i here i'm having an existential crisis that's right. i can't that's a hard he's not in on I this i don't even know why you tried to say it that's a that's a word that i shouldn't be saying existential stasis um, something before i forget that's fresh off the presses of the social medias um that's actually not on my list in front of me two of our two of my friends and friends to the podcast and to the website have gotten together um nelson lugo as you guys know is doing a run of gathering the magic eli august and the abandoned buildings are going to open some of his shows Hey. Like how ran? Wait, is that like randomly just ha- so happened? Or I, like- well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Molly knows Nelson because Molly worked, you know, works in burlesque, and uh, the other members of Eli August have been to burlesque shows. So I'm guessing the connection might have been there, but I'm not sure. I don't know that it was through us, but it's cool to see them hook up and connect. And That's so pretty cool. Yeah. Eli is going to be opening a few shows for them. Um, I'm not sure how much of the rest of the band will be there too because they come from all over. We're like the nexus of a thing. Maybe could be. About- Anyway. Um, in other news of guests to the show, Circadian Clock, who is on here um, in episode uh, at 121, they're finally playing at the Way Station. We talked about this when they were guests. They're playing January 22nd. It's a Thursday, a week later from the Wasty show I mentioned last week. Um, they will be playing at 9 o'clock. Please go check them out. We will likely be there in some capacity. And um, their live show, I hear, is incredible. I've not actually seen them live yet, but I'm looking forward to checking them out at the way station. Some capacity. Not, not, not every capacity. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe what? we'll be invisible. Who knows? That's a capacity. Not a full capacity. But a Moving capacity. on. Um, some upcoming autographs guests that were just confirmed. Um, I've already, rec- already recorded, as of this show, uh, my interview with Sulphur, the other half of the Thawed Criminals, te- who teams up with Michael Kill and a solo nerdcore rapper in his own right. We chatted about his new Ninja Turtles EP, his Thor EP that he did the year before, Ooh. and his new original rap nerdcore record that he's putting out later this year. Also, Adam Warrock, much talked about by me on the podcast. He's finally coming on the show, and we will talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Shy Boy, who is the lead singer of a band called Hypnogaja, who's one of the first interviews I'd ever done for the show in type. Um, he's got a very successful solo career now in the similar vein of what he was doing with Hypnogaja. Um, he's coming on as well. He just put out a brand new record called Lost in Space. And uh, we're going to talk about that as well as his record Waters on Mar- Mars, which came out last year. Um, actually, they both Sen- might have come out last a, year. Sensing a space theme, perhaps? Yes, he actually has a lot of spacey related stuff. Um, and then the final guest that's confirmed for autographs to come out later this year is Beefy, another nerdcore rapper. Um, he's been guested on albums of, of other artists that I've spoken to, Michael Kill, Adam Warrock, um, Schaefer the Dark Lord, he, uh, D- uh, Dr. Awkward. He's a, but he's a fantastic nerdcore rapper in his own right. He put out a brand new record called Grown Up last year in 2014. We'll chat about that as well, as also as well as what he's working on now. Um, so that's exciting. Those four artists 
are going to be on the show soon. So keep an ear out for that. Back to the Hypnogazer one. You did that like back in 2010, correct? Correct, yes. Um, and it was actually featured on their website for a while, on the Hypnogazer site. Um, I've been friends with, with Shy Boy and his keyboardist, Mark, for a long time, Mark Dulkin. Um, and so I'm grateful to get Shy Boy on the podcast, the new podcast. It should, it's actually really exciting. They've been big uh, musicians out in L.A. for a long time. They come to New York every so often, though I've not been able to see them in person since they've been to New York. Going back to Adam Warrock, who I mentioned, um, he's coming on, the, on autographs also to promote his new EP that's coming out the end of this month. His new EP is called Gifted Student. Um, I believe it's to be a more personal record, although he does do personal songs. Um, this, I think this whole record is supposed to be from a more personal perspective. And it's actually being produced by the one and only Michael Kill, who we mentioned earlier, who, if you listen to that episode, he has a huge... Oh, you got a harem going here? <laughs> he's, Everybody's related. He, well, he's got a huge foothold in, in production. He's a great nerdcore rapper, but his true love is production and he talks about how he's more musically influenced by major rap producers like Dr. Dre and others that he had mentioned and so I'm excited for this new EP to come out that's produced by him but you know it's still the music of another nerd rapper who I enjoy as well it'll be a cool collaboration you should just go out there and say hey you know what I'll produce I'll produce I set you guys up I got the connections they no they knew each other before well, in that me. case but you know I'm just assuming now as a result of all these that you somehow are the or the the curator of these connections no actually I'm very grateful that because they all know each other they've kind of curated a relationship with me through the internet Ah, look at that. Because uh, Michael Kill, Tribe One, Adam Warrock, Shea for the Dark Lord, Beefy, all of these artists, Dr. Awkward, have worked together and have toured together so in some capacity or another. Jesse Dangerously, who I haven't had on yet, Sulphur. They've all, they've all worked together in some capacity, so there's a strong link between all of them. They actually have a great collaborative go-through, so, which is kind of cool. I would love to see that, that tree <laughs> diagram. What's what's that kind of yeah diagram? no um, um I, uh, well a tree a diagram. well like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon hiding a diagram between all of them true uh yeah like, yeah like the well like a family tree like a genealogical yeah. tree yeah genealogical yeah, that, that's the, it that's the word with, genealogical right oh, yeah I said that right yeah there we go kind of all right so right. close enough maybe kind of a web. <laughs> but, yeah, that's actually probably a lot more accurate. Um, okay. Why don't we get on with this episode and our album of this week? All right. Well, for anyone that knows, the band Yola Tango, Extra Painful, which I mentioned in last week's uh, promo, might remind you of the album Painful, an album that they released way back in 1993. And it very well should, because Extra Painful is a near-verbatim reissue of that album, with the addition of several bonus tracks, several demos, and unreleased work. Now, the main reason they reissued this album is because of the band's 30th year anniversary, and even though the album itself is only 22 years old, it goes back to 93, uh, it was actually their sixth release, so they were already veterans by the point of releasing it, uh, they decided to go with this album with painful so why choose this album for we re-release we 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 it's um <laughs> it's generally regarded as their culminating work uh partially because it pushed the subgenre uh gaze into the mainstream it was already a thing by like the mid 80s maybe late 80s but certainly by 93 i think yola tango could be credited as bringing it to fruition um few other reasons, even according to Pitchfork Magazine here, this was the first album made with uh, longtime producer Roger Moutinot, and the first album to be issued through Matador Records, whose uh, post-pavement popularity 
and resultant Atlantic Rec Records partnership afforded the band their widest distribution yet. So, it's an important time. Uh, actually, in addition to that, it was uh, the second album to feature their bassist, James McNew, um, and it was the first to fully enmesh his sensibilities with Kaplan and Hubley's shirking the typical new guy third wheel dynamic for a more poly polyamorous rela personal professional relationship that continues to this day gotta That's love awful. gotta love pitchfork magazine see anyway, words, are, words are hard well the font in this case was also harder but uh we're not doing extra painful it's high time we mentioned that mainly because when i noticed that yola tango was releasing a new album i made the mistake of glancing at that and was like "Ooh, new work from yola tango didn't realize it was reissue at that point then when i consider the fact that this reissue is sort of an attempt to to impart to their listeners how the album was made in the first place through all these demos and 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 unreleased work it, it seemed to be an interesting concept but it wasn't quite it's it's not the way you go about uh analyzing an album front to back it's disparate work it's not all made at the same time it's more of it's more of fan service in that particular case so i thought that would be an interesting opportunity to go back to the original itself painful released in 93 so this is one of those rare occasions where we get to actually uh go against our rule of thumb which otherwise would keep us grounded in modern albums for the purposes of having stable even tempered reviews especially when your selection is from other contemporary albums but we've been known to diff dip into the past uh, at times, usually at the behests of our guests, and it seemed like for a reissue like this, it would be the perfect occasion. It's also the fact that the band, being now in their 30th year, is putting forth this as the idea of them, as idea of their greatest work. So mm -hmm. they're even putting it out there as this will still stand against... They're culminating work. Culminating, culminating work. To say that. Good, good way to put it. They're, they're actually making the claim that here, this album, Painful, does stand up against today's music. That's why they're willing to reissue it. Maybe with the extra demo tracks and everything like that, you're getting a little bit of fan service. But the very fact that they're willing to put forth a, an album that is 20 years old as, here, do it again, listen to it again, enjoy it again, it's worth putting back into the pantheon of music. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a f pretty bold claim. Exactly. That's why I figured it would be an interesting... Uh... Well, it's the same thing to investigate, not just to, of course, see how, you know, it's influenced modern music, but to see whether it would just still hold up, whether people, uh, why people actually liked it to begin with, all of those questions. And it was an incredibly popular album for its time. Um, you know, it's helpful every once in a while to challenge the work of a previous time and pretend that it's new since we are new to this particular album ourselves. Uh, one more note about shoegaze. I, I, I put it out there as, as the general genre of this album. I think I've only mentioned shoegaze uh, in one other occasion, and that would have be, that would be way back in episode 43 when we reviewed Lowe's The Invisible Way. And even though that album itself was far from shoegaze, because that was a, a modern album and they were kind of removed from shoegaze at that point, at least for that album, which seemed to drift more toward folk, uh, they were pretty entrenched in shoegaze as of the early mid-90s. In many ways, they were contemporaries of this exact album. That was probably when they got their start. And it, I should probably just describe a little bit what it is. Uh, it, it was actually coined by Melody Maker. That's a British, uh, a British uh, music press uh, magazine. And they coined it because... The musicians in these bands stood still during live performances in a detached, introspective, non-confrontational state, hence the idea that they were gazing at their shoes. 
interesting little uh, little little description of a, to describe what we've uh, often searched to describe as the introspective band or the introspective type of work. This kind of captures that quite beautifully. Um, and musical elements you would find would be uh, the use of of effects pedals to a, quite a, a heavy degree, which kind of contributed to the uh, image of them looking down at their feet at concerts because they have to look at their feet in order to see where the damn pedals are. So perhaps it was all uh, it was all just a lark to begin with. Um, other things, of course, are those long drawn out guitar sounds that are used just as like ambient work in the background. I've often commented on that being an element in post rock, which certainly borrowed from shoegaze. So that leads to them generally being described uh, to the layman as dreamlike. This is how people generally, this is why people go to Yola Tango in the fir first place. And my personal experience with Yola Tango goes back to, to college when I actually got to fill out that, that good old cliched college atmosphere of just putting on a black light and sitting around talking about life while this stuff was going on. Not this album per se, but disparate tracks from Yola Tango, which I, I, I couldn't name because they were all over the place. It was introduced to me by my roommate. So... From there, we go into this particular album and see what brought them to the limelight and why I could actually enjoy them in such a way. So, we begin with the track Big Day Coming, a track which is actually repeated later on the album uh, in, a, in an oddball second version, quite different. But let's start with the first. So, I mean, as a start to the record, it starts kind of serene and uh, mellow. It has a very familiar... <laughs> All those things. Well, yeah. No, it has a very familiar build in it. It's it's not bending any rules, let alone breaking any rules. It seems to be following a very natural chordal progression towards what 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 goes from the intro into the actual main verse melody. I think it barely even call it a, a chordal progression. I mean, I, it's, it's an A-flat major, and it generally stays an A-flat major, following on a single motif, simply... Uh, Counting in major tones here, one three one four three three one over and over and over and over again throughout the entire track. Um, that's basically what you're dealing with. The whole uh, track, I almost mean... the whole entire track. It it comes across as being very soothing, but also a little bit nulling. This is where you you kind of have to play the game and and, and see well what would a 1993 audience think of this? What do we think of this? Well, I don't know. I I'd, I'd still imagine a good variety of people would say soothing also kind of nulling. After a while, you start to forget certain things, you start to focus on certain things more than, than you otherwise might. Uh, that's why I should probably bring in the voice, because the voice is kind of a background thing here, especially when you consider that motif, which is, is so repetitive by this point, but the voice is, is distant, it's childish, a little bit meek, kind of defeated, and maybe hopeful all at once. I, And yet, it's not a prominent it's not a prominent instrument. It, usually when we, when we encounter uh, cases like this, the voice itself would be, we would cite it as, as not being prominent, therefore it is used as an instrument. But I don't think that's really the case here. It doesn't seem to be used as an instrument. It's just there, kind of drifting in the sea of everything else. It makes it very difficult to understand what he's saying, which I believe could be a, a good focal point for this track. The, the problem is they're not, like you said, they're not using it as an instrument, so how he's saying it is not very important in this case. Hmm. But because it's so difficult to hear what he's saying, what he's saying is not very important in this case. Yeah, and that's that's So it's that questionable, where, are, where is this singer coming from? What is his role in this situation here? That 
that was one of the big detractors for this and a lot of other songs coming along. Otherwise, there was a good soundscape going on here. There was a good use of the dissident guitars to build something. But with the lack of culmination in anything, it feels like so many elements are just not peaking, not are just falling flat. Now, I know that it's is... like a... they're building something and stacking stones around a building that you can't even, uh, you can't even see an image of yet. You can't but even it's... imagine what it's going to look like. The, the whole thing is, it's not just building stones. It's moving one stone pile to another area and then taking that pile and moving it back. I don't feel like there's any actual progression and yet going there... on here. Yet, there very, may very well be a reason for that, albeit some one of those sort of high-minded artistic reasons but the idea of like a big day coming about a mile away this this is the 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 chorus that returns if not that you can really discern uh the 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 spot where the chorus comes in especially considering that the the uh the motif is so prevalent but you can kind of hear through it comes back again there is a big day coming about a mile away there's a big day coming i can hardly wait it it's like this this hopefulness that lurks in the background, but it never quite takes shape. You, the big day is never arrived. It's always coming. It's always you're looking forward to it, but it's never there. In the meantime, you're just sort of going through the motions, going through life. And it, you do get the sense that he's caught up in the middle of something bigger, but he's caught up in his own head. You know, almost like it's, it's a consistent delusion. And there's no excitement associated with this. I don't expect excitement. No. Not with what they were building here, but... Hope might even be too strong of a word. It's just, it, it, it comes across as knowledge. As, oh yeah, there's a big day coming. Not, I should be hopeful about it. No, it's just, matter-of-factly, something's going to happen eventually. Yeah, well, we get a little bit of that in the verse. Let's wake up the neighbors, let's turn up our amps. And we know we're used to, without having a plan, we can play a stone song sitting on the fence, and it'll sound pretty good till I forget how it ends. It's all just very much, you know, a it's day. A it's, like a, it's like their version of a day in the life. It's very matter yeah. of fact. Um, and, I mean, that's also... A day in the life with hope. <laughs> th that's the problem, I think, with this song also, is that because it kind of just goes through the motions, it becomes notably repetitive. Not so repetitive that you're pained by it. We've listened to far worse repetitive songs. But... It's definitely noticeable, especially towards the end. The song is on the longer side. It's a seven-minute track. Yeah, that, and I think we, it was probably and, the biggest uh, drawback. And me and Steve were talking about how the, the tail end of the song, the, the outro, if you could call that whole chunk an outro, was fairly, re really repetitive. It didn't really go anywhere, do anything, build anything. Um, repetitive is not the word I would use to describe that outro. The outro was was comprised of, of more of a, probably the most variety in the entire track, because it steps in there with the long droning guitar stands that, uh, guitar, guitar sounds that this time start to sound very, uh, very wonky, very out of tune. They're, they're intentionally disconnected from the rest. You're meant to walk away seeing, saying, ugh, that was, that was a little unnerving. That's right. That you was a little... A little disgusting, almost. That, that's saying, the, where the unraveling takes place. That's right. You were saying that the like the right before the outro didn't really need to exist. That like three minutes leading up to it, because once we get to well, the outro, out of seven minutes, say maybe four out of seven yeah. were the generally, you know, unchanging verses and choruses, yeah. and then the outro is 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 the ballsy part of this track. I I, I still. Coming from an artistic standpoint, I think it's I think it was pretty useful in unraveling this state of delusion. Um, but just from a listener's standpoint, 
you know, for a first track, you're laying a lot on the line here. Uh, it's, it's it's a lot to to expect of your audience in this track. I feel to stick with it. No, also, no, no, well, no, also no, 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 you need no, to, no, you wait, need to wait, remember wait, wait. usage. I don't want to. I don't. Wanna, I don't think it's a lot to expect of your audience. That yeah. that that might be the wrong way to term it. It's not going to draw you people from outside your already present audience. Okay. I think that might be a better way because if somebody is familiar in this style of music. This is not going to be breaking any grounds here. But for somebody who may be a little more oriented towards higher energy pieces or something like that, they might say the word droning over and over again. They might say, yeah, it never really goes anywhere. It never really repeats. But there are little aspects of it that are still quite smart, quite ingenious. Well, since the you were commenting on the end, though, I, I, that's what I went, meant by, uh, by you have to consider usage, what people might use this music for. And I think that at least for those first five, four minutes, while it was consistent, people might use it as ambient background music, much like what I said earlier about just like laying back and zoning out to a blacklight, man. Yeah, it's great. Um, you could talk about life and all that stuff. You could probably even start to zone out that, that consistent uh, motif. But, but, once you reach the end portion, where it starts getting really wonky, I think this is going to spoil your mood a little bit. Intentionally so, but all of a sudden, that usage is, is no longer applicable. Yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's exactly it. You don't really... There's so much going on, without too much going on, in the actual <laughs> song. No, it's the wall of sound that they're, cre they're, they're creating with the soundscape ambient orientation that they were doing when you start just, just pulling out little strings here and there at the end it does get very interesting but you're right it really does destroy the mood the emotion that they were building in the first part of the song yeah and that's kind of a well take or leave it sort of thing depending upon what you're going toward uh what you were looking for um i so, was i wasn't against it i really wasn't no, i against wasn't it, i was interested but, you neither but well, where do you go from there? And in from a Motel Six, I mean, you're getting a big emotional change just going into the next track. Yeah, and that's that's uh. Well, we'll talk about the, it. The track two um, definitely moves. It's 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 more fast paced than the the first track. Um, feels kind of more indie rock in a sense. Indie rock, of course, you have to consider the time frame here, 1993. I'm thinking like a early predecessor to indie rock, which is grunge and the thing that was like out at the time and and born of a more heavy sound was grunge and i feel like this is kind of drifting back here it's hard to say you know i would throw this entire band into shoegaze just to to make it simple but of course it's kind of born from similar sounds as of the 80s that also yielded the grunge sound so again usage it depends on what your propensity is as a musician do you want to use that sort of muddy bass sound to get really really heavy and uh, and a little bit more intense, or do you want to kind of shrink back into yourself? There lies the the split between uh, grunge and shoegaze. But it seems like they're hopping over the river right here. Well, with this song though, they're doing something that I mean, even for 1993, just didn't feel very unique. You know, it was That's the pretty. Thing. This song is pretty straightforward, fairly predictable. It moves faster than the last track, like I said. But it gets borderline boring, and here's why. Because you've got the same guitar riff. You've got a drum a drum that's kind of erratic. It's not even, like, interesting erratic. It's just kind of all over the place. Yeah. And it, 
like I said, it's just very straightforward. It just kind of goes. It doesn't really go anywhere. It just goes. There was one thing that I liked at first, and that was the way they were using that guitar with with a sort of a siren kind of an idea, uh, a, a bring in, bring in, and then trail it off. That was yeah, that, great. At it's it's actually first. Well, this is another one of those riffs that that repeats over and over. That begins, uh, that starts off the track, and that's that's the riff that sets you off, and then you kind of retreats back for the duration of the verse, and then it comes back in the interludes between each verse. It's it's essentially uh, this. It's a whiny sort of scraggly guitar that falls chromatically from the home key, which is which is G here, and it it does that over and over again. It's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. It also kind of perpetuates that that unraveling nature, but this time it's more disconnected from the group. Uh, the rest of the track doesn't really embody that. This is more of a general pop song from that framework, from that kind of grungy uh, but more uplifting uh, pop framework. It's, 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 uh, it only serves a purpose just in that interlude is my problem. It doesn't really come back in any point. I, I don't see any other instances of, of, of unraveling except perhaps following the bridge where the guitar kind of returns to this, like, white noise static. You get it there, and it seems to be a running theme as of the album for two tracks here, but it, it does set up, it does set up, like, a, an overall sound here. If you can accept the fusion of those two or possibly three different styles, say, the access, accessible, approachable pop song, combined with uh, a little bit more of a muddy sound, a little bit more uh, dissonant, and then combine that with the light-hearted, uh, excuse me, not light-hearted, but, but light and delicate introverted uh, shoegaze sound. This is like all three rolled into one, and I suppose for 1993, well, that is, that is pretty important. I don't think I could, I could cite that anywhere in the 80s, for instance. But using that guitar during the interludes ended up being a distraction for me. I, I just couldn't really focus on anything but it when it was around, and mm. it wasn't, like I said, it started off kind of impressive, but it, it definitely wore on me fairly quickly. By the fifth repetition, which happens before I believe the first verse, it was, I wanted them to move on, I wanted them to start experimenting, keeping it at the same levels, and that's something that is 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 a theme here. The levels are so close to one another, you really don't get a sense of forefront and background as far as the instruments are going. Either something is, is in it and it seems to be layered into the same area or it's just not present at that point. I don't feel like anybody's taking a role here, especially not the vocalist. Yeah. Well, also with the vocals that... in this track, it's much like the last track. We're not really getting anything understandable unless you focus and read the lyrics. You're, you're not getting a sense. Like, reading the lyrics now in front of my... Holding them in front of myself... I don't. I didn't get a sense of any of them listening to the songs, and I listened to this album several times, like the chorus. I climb where I can see. You're close, but I won't reach. Blank stare at the TV. CNN's on channel three. I can't live with that day in the life kind of stuff. It's just, in fact that leaving the next verse almost reminds me. Is is like, well, unless I'm uh, misinterpreting it, but but it almost kind of reminds me of uh, of of. Well, it brings me back to 1993 in a particular way. In the passing line on 1 and 9, and I, I'm, I'm thinking perhaps that's a reference to the subway back yeah. when the 1 and the 9 mm. actually used to run, and the 9 has been gone for upwards of a decade now. It's no, just no, no. the 1. <laughs> I think it's actually the 1 and 9 highway, highway. in New Jersey. Right. Cause well, because it says the next line, it They're says stuck Jersey. in a sad okay. car stuck 
stuck in a drive. Okay. Little topical. We're we're in New York, and the one nine is a fairly important Jersey throughway. Okay. For us to get around, you know, near the city. Well, but it's the also the, the, point, the point yeah. though, the point though, close enough. The point though is that Steve's right. It's again very day in the life lyrics, and let me say up front, day in the life lyrics. There's nothing wrong with that. But usually there's some connection point. If someone's singing about a day in their life, usually they're singing a very personal song where you're connecting to their emotional state or how they feel or what they're going through. You know, talking about their their hardships in their daily life, talking about a bad neighborhood or bad parents or whatever. Or, this is, or to go in the opposite direction, which seems to be what they're going for, they're taking it as... Uh, trying to explain the mundane in a more fantastical way because A Day in the Life, the Beatles song, it's it's done in such a way that that dreamlike mundaneness becomes fantastical. But this is not even going fantastical. This is, this is like a bridge between the two. It's There's, just average. It's just, you know, here's stuff. It's like but then it epitomizes the average trek. What are you going to experience from a Motel Six? Motel Sixes, I don't think, are often very high points in your life. Um, Fair. So you know, when you're when you're looking at things like this, uh, even just the final line here. Oh, I drift off to sleep while the snow falls on the screen. Why wow, you can't get any more? That's a, that's pretty existential right there. Just falling asleep with the static. I used it's funny because yeah. when I was little, probably around uh, well, when I was little would have been about when this was released, ninety three, and I used to call it snow. Um, everyone did. Everyone did. Oh, okay. It was that's, called, that's... Yeah, it was called that when I it's was. It's not just you. Too. Okay. 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 It's not good. just something from your generation. I feel validated. We had by that, that too. Well, yeah. Back in the day when I was young. That's well, right. they don't have it anymore, so it's. You probably had you probably had cable up. earlier than I did though, because uh, we were pretty late to get cable. Uh, maybe. So broadcasting snow was was big for us. Anyway, so I was pretty old. Yeah, uh, that's kind of a uh, tangent. There's a thing about there's a thing about this that I think we haven't mentioned. That's also another usage, and that is. Uh, concert approachability because because this is such a, a an uplifting track i have to think like well that post-punk audience for the early 90s that wants something a little bit more relatable at the same time not not thrashy like you might get from punk i think that's what this track is generally embodying and you know what i don't know concerts fluctuate you're gonna get things from earlier in the album you're gonna get stuff from here but this is probably not the one where you're really gonna be paying attention to the to the to the lyrics you're probably just gonna be swaying back and forth a little bit and i think this track is is suitable for that i can't find much more for it again we'll see that in retrospect all of those words essentially are a very drawn out way of saying it's an average track that wouldn't be terrible to listen but it epitomizes to. average Huh? It's really average. <laughs> I guess we've had plenty of really average stuff. So, moving on to track three, Double Dare. Really very which, medium. <laughs> which <laughs> Double Dare could be a reference to the TV show of the same name, which was also on in the 90s, though I doubt it. I haven't read the lyrics, so I could be wrong. Again, we're not really getting anything fantastical. Well, it's... now we're just superimposing our, our 90s references, but that's not a way to go about this. Uh, I'm going to... I, I'm going to stretch this to say that um, there's more emphasis on the white noise here than on the last track, for sure. In addition to that, you get in the interludes more of an emphasis on these little seven chords here and there, um, which kind of combine with the distortion and, and the white noise, and it pushes it through. That's another uh, time to bring back in uh, the vocals here. The vocals feel like they're kind of straining to be heard through the distortion at times. Sometimes, uh, like in previous cases, it feels like it's just sort of laid on top gently as another layer speaking over everything, uh, kind of musing to yourself. But this time, it, it seems a little bit more, a little bit more imminent. Like you're trying to cut through the crap. I mean. 
perhaps this is a long way to go for this, but I don't think so when you consider some of these lyrics. I re feel the need to, re to repeat, I should know, like a stutter. Yeah. You shouldn't have to tell me. Sometimes it's the way we feel, or the way we feel, interesting. We feel pretty bad. In a double dare, he's got wandering eyes, and I see him look at you, looking straight at you, but I know where they are. I'll walk you home, you take as long as it takes. The sun in the morning, in the morning sky, we'll know where we are, we'll know where we are. It's kind of a need to prove something a little bit here. Um, but also, I don't know, it, 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 this, is, this is probably one of the cagier lyrics on this album. At the same time, just going off with that first stanza, sometimes it's the way we feel or the way we feel, we feel pretty bad. That, he doesn't seem to know where he is. No. He doesn't seem to know entirely. This is a stream of consciousness in a sense. It could be. I mean, also this song is where we're really getting a sense of them being kind of one riff wonders. And with the guitar, they tend to kind of just... I mean, not all the guitar work. Let, let me not get ahead of myself. But I just I get a sense of it in this track, at least, that it's not really doing anything... Again, I feel it's very predictable, like the last track was. Well, there was... And I've kept my piece till now. This is the first time I'm actually focusing on something in the song. And that was the 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 the, the pickup, the little bit of extra... I don't know, energy going on here. It feels like there's something coming through in this guy's mind. The duality of the two guitars going back and forth, back and forth was actually really good. I like the dissidence that they were building on top of one another. And then it goes into that solo, I guess, would be the right word, though it's more expose than anything else. It doesn't really have the, 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 the iconic solo, and frankly, I don't think a true, like, I don't think Thrash these guys. I don't think these like guys that. do iconic solos. I don't yeah, think I would have wanted. You wouldn't it. have something like that. But here, that that expose kind of flatlines, and it just says, "Well, everything that we were doing with the guitars, we're just going to keep doing it." It just it it's it not does, fully repetitive, but it it doesn't do anything. It's it not fully go, fleshed out. Yeah, it's not going anywhere, and yeah, it just right. it just comes off as sloppy more I'll than anything else for me. I'll give you that. I mean, first of all, I mean, I am getting a distinct sense of arc here uh to what end i don't know yet but but at least when you look at the fact that we've gone from uh a fairly mellow almost quintessentially shoegaze track in the beginning onto track two where it's a little heavier eh, light distortion but frankly that, that that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a pop track and then here we're kind of laying on that distortion quite a bit heavier it pushes it into garage territory almost uh kind of the way i i cited on daryl's ohio back in episode 114 that was kind of garagey we were citing that all over the place and yet at that time that that was a 2004 album that's a decade after this decade before us but it feels like again it's cut from the same cloth it's kind of it's kind of borrowing in that very local territory vibe but seeing if they can push that art form a little further yet at the same time i got to say i think Daryl's ohio was doing a little bit better at this point in the album it had its it had its own meandering qualities yeah. but um i feel it's kind of apples and oranges too Perhaps, but when you look at the mixing and the quality of the instruments, so, you know, there's similarities here, distinct yeah. similarities. Uh, it's just, I don't know, I, I, this strikes me as being a little bit simpler. Nevertheless, I think things are getting, are getting muddied in, in, this tr in this album. I think there's an intentional that as you push the album along, things are going to inevitably become less clear. That's true as of, as of this point, at least. Moving on to track four, we have an instrumental interlude track that's kind of on the earlier side of the record. It's called Superstar 
dash watcher. Um, it's completely instrumental, and this is the first time I feel like I really get a sense of what Steve has been describing as shoegaze music. Yes. Um, it feels its length, for first of all. It, it's not super long like a lot of the other tracks. It's only about a minute and a half, close to two minutes. And But that's in a good way. I like that it really fits its format on the whole. It's But from the start, it's very contemplative, which I really like. It just, just it makes you kind of go inward, and which, I, which is, I think, what the point of Shoegaze was. And this, it, it stops being, very quickly, it stops being an interlude for me. It becomes a full-fledged piece. It becomes true sound shaping, because the guitar goes into a, a very steady riff, but there are background tones that shape that guitar in such interesting ways that it really does take me places, even though you're in a very specific emotion here. And for me, this was a numb zone that that I loved. Uh, numb is not as in unemotional. Numb is a very specific feeling for me in which emotions have now overwhelmed you and you've shut off. That is a very distinct idea. And here I think they're they're really starting to capture it. Yeah. With that, that oscillation almost in the background, it did a great job of, of hitting that stride. And this is also where the arc kind of went back to it. It kind of looped itself, uh, lapped itself. Because by this point, um, it's like we've reached the distortion cap. Well, we're not going to go further than we went in Double Dare. Instead, we're kind of going to go back to the beginning here. And I think in doing so, it, it took on a much more mature edge. Um, First of all, in the very, very beginning of this track, you get like these murmurs of, of conversation just happening in the background. And then that ambient drone wants to sort of capture that moment. And it does so with this very warm guitar sound, which combines with these background drones and then repeats that rhythmic motif that you were just talking about. Almost early rock, if you kind of stripped away the effects, if you just looked at that motif, it, it's very, very early rock. It's that old sort of major relative minor teeter-tottering, uh, E major, C sharp minor in this case. It sounds like it kind of wants to be a 50s love song if it wasn't caught in this haze of rumination perpetuated by those drones. And so it simply repeats the pattern endlessly, just numbingly. And and towards the end, the, drone, the drones actually take on what could almost be construed as... as as full form melody themselves, the light drones. Um, it's meandering, but it still kind of supports the rest. So this is what I, I see your point when in terms of uh, in terms of actual progression within this track. And then the key thing, what I said earlier, capturing the moment. This is the first track which I feel is actually capturing something that is identifiable. It's it's almost tangible. Yeah, and it's it, it's first of all, this is the short track, correct? This is like yes. a minute and forty-five seconds, something like that. Yeah. yeah, very very short. It's an instrumental, and I think it, it really does accomplish more as an instrumental than most of the other tracks did accomplish with lyrics. And the one thing I want to hone in on, because I forgot to mention it, is those background murmurs, and that's where I think it truly encapsulates numb for me, mm. because it's that blocking out of true thought. The way it comes off is just a in the background oh. is so so nice to have, just adding context to the rest of what's going on there. Well, I like that you use the word numb also in that way because it's it's this it's a different side of the same coin with contemplative in the sense that. You're either focus, you're either so overcharged by emotion that you shut off, or you're so focused in your mind that you're shut off. But it's this idea of everything else being kind of hollow around you, 
as you're kind of going inward for whatever the reason is. And it really does convey that. I really do like that's the key the thing. Sense. That's the key thing, and that's exactly what I, I guess what I always sort of got from the best of shoegaze. Shoegaze well, at the, its peak. I don't know what this. I mean, perhaps in terms of arc, it was trying to reach some, as I said, trying to reach some kind of critical mass point on this album uh, just prior to this track before it finally releases. So, say for instance that double dare. Let's say we take it literally. Let's say a double dare is actually a double dare. Um, You've, you've been, your back is up against the wall in, in, in some vague manner. Right. And now all of a sudden, it releases. You have to kind of go inward and just ruminate on whatever topic at hand. Whatever is getting you, whatever is, is on your mind lately that you just can't shake, all of a sudden reaches critical mass. And now this is the moment where you just have to sit with it and I guess restructure. Whatever you have to do, reach that, 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 that point of absolution, I don't know. But this is... This this sums it up more effectively in these one in this one minute and forty five seconds. Again, had to reach this point, but it, you're kind of left questioning until you reach it. Right. But and this is a, this is an effective track. But I like that that this focus really does give you a textbook dep- definition of shoegaze, especially the way you described it. This idea of for whatever reason it brought you inward, but now you're just staring down at your shoes while you ruminate. For whatever reason. Well, even even also uh, considering that arc, I like to kind of think of shoegaze as sort of the marriage of grunge and ambient, especially that early 90s sound. You bring together that harshness and then that really, really background drone, uh, and then all of a sudden, well, you have this. Somewhere in the middle, it's still it's still a full-fledged piece. It does it does go places, and again, this 1 minute 45 seconds went more places than, than the rest did, but it, that's, that's what it is. It, that's the way I interpret it. From there we go to track five, Nowhere Near. Now this was interesting because it starts off with that sort of cheesy holdover of 80s synth, which I thought was kind of a kind of a drift away from uh, from where we just were. Um, and what you termed, uh, John, as the the cowboy guitar. <laughs> it's more, it's, it's not southern rock, it's not country music, it's nothing of that sort. It's the theme notes to a cowboy walking into the bordello. It's the theme notes to the showdown. It's that pluck in the guitar that is him coming on scene. That's just where it went with my mind. That's what I saw. It's such an oddball vision, but I guess the more and more I heard uh, that 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 riff over and over again, the more and more I started to kind of recognize it. It's a sparse riff. It doesn't. It's it's. It feels like almost an incomplete phrase. You can't really call it a riff. It's just in in major. It just goes five six one right, and it just goes back. Just, turns to the to the tonic with that five six one and it it feels like it should be going more places than this it feels like it had a theme that it was going to uh to enter into but it never does and that's the it, this is like the fifth time that that yeah, here we are fifth track that they've done that it seems to be their pattern they stick with a with with a riff or a motif or something and then they just kind of do it to death they treat that as their their form of reaching in an ambient environment, it becomes the pattern that after a while you don't even notice after a while, unless you unless you do notice it, in which case it's probably not going to benefit the track. In this case, I actually did enjoy it. I enjoyed the okay. duality between the two pieces. Very hit or miss. It, it definitely can be. Um, it's sort of the, the the sounds kind of phase in and out around the vocals. We have female vocals instead of male vocals here. It actually kind of reminded me of uh, Mimi Parker from Low, which is again that as I mentioned earlier, not more shoegaze. Um, very very soft, very crooning. 
this was probably one of the nicer moments, at least in terms of uh, vocal. It wasn't. It it made it seem like I guess less of just that that overlier that that you know. It would seem like more of a croon than just the the simple uh, the simple stream of consciousness diary entry thing. Still a little bit of that, but you know, sweeter. Maybe just because simple female vocal edge. <laughs> but it's so background. I mean, this is the part where it's not even more foreground here in this track than others. So low, so so overpowered by some of the other instruments going on there that I I feel like I have to strain just to hear her singing. That I have to strain to actually hear her voice coming through at certain parts. I'm, and it's not... I, I didn't have to strain in this case for one reason. First of all, it sounded like like her voice was kind of doubled. Uh, there may have been another... There actually may have been a male like falsetto in the background, or it might have just been in, in mixing her voice doubled just lightly. Or it was just uh, just an effect itself. But I, I kind of enjoyed that. It made her sound, sound more distinct, more just like a straight-up melody on this track that I think... Um, that I think probably pushed it above where I had originally rated this. Um, but, but but in this case, it's a little bit different when you consider the lyrics. Do you know how I feel, how I feel about you? Do you know this is real, how I feel about you? When I see you look at me, I'm not sure of anything. All I know is when you smile, I believe in everything. Now that's a really, really sweet line. Also leading up to this, it seems to come from like high school immaturity. But... You know, it has its place. It's a Dr. Seuss version of a love story, though. It's not really reaching many good heights for me. But I didn't need the lyrics to get that. I yeah. didn't know the lyrics till I just looked at them now, and I already wrote that it was mellow and sweet. I got that from the music. And you got the, the lyrics cheesy, are, cheesy A synth? Well, and the drone, and then the other instrumentation. Like, I got that from the music. So, I mean, Steve, you talk about this a lot. It's a, you know, certain songs you should be able to get an emotionality or a feeling from the music aside from the lyrics, mm-hmm. which I did. But also, if the lyrics are really just kind of perpetuating the same message, not really enhancing it, I feel like that kind of leaves me wanting. Like, not every song has to have strong lyrics. And the fact that there's an instrumentation of a sort from the vocals is okay, but I would have liked in this sweet song for the lyrics to have had more of an impact, but at it- least in content. But it captures it later, at least in terms of, all right, fine, here it's kind of high school. He's sort of idolizing uh, this, 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 this figure. And then later on, we get to the point, well, do you know how I feel? How I feel about you doesn't take much to tell that I love, oh, I love you. Everyone is here, but you're nowhere near. That's the title of the track, and just kind of reiterated. I suppose you could have gotten that, agreed, just from title, nowhere near, combined with the music itself. But, I don't know, it's... In- I've never heard this 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 piece without the uh, without the lyrics. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten the full emotion. Nowhere near is a pretty uh, vague title. I disagree You're because just I left... got the full emotion without the lyrics. I just I'll yeah. agree with you that it is a '50s love song again. We kind of get that same deal. The yeah. chord progression, frankly, is is as simple as they come. It's just one four five, one four five, over and over. I mean, that would almost be like blues if it wasn't just stuck in the loop. Same deal. It keeps it caught in the same exact haze, just like the the little guitar uh, riff is caught in the same exact loop. Four, five six one, five six one. Um, but this time it it is sweeter, and especially considering uh, you have female vocals here, it's this track resembles what what uh, earlier tracks did, or what we did kind of by 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 culminating uh, with with Double Bear and then taking it down a notch with Superstar Watcher, and that's the fact that the track kind of got interrupted. The, the distorted guitar just steps in and muddles everything together. It was a really, really interesting moment for this. Like, again, things are just coming apart, unraveling, right around the time where uh, she breaks it down, but you're nowhere near. No, you're nowhere near. 
I did not enjoy that in this case. This is uh, yeah. maybe might be a preference or something like that, but it got a little too murky. It got a little too cluttered wasn't, for me. I wasn't super moved by it, but you know, it felt it, like it, all it was doing was just adding as additional glue on the tapestry that they were painting with this song. It wasn't adding an additional color. glue on the album, rather because of the little reflection. But it wasn't. It it wasn't another color. It was just another gray hue thrown in. It wasn't something that I felt added to it. The unfortunate reality for me is I honestly didn't remember the fecal male vocalist was in this track until you brought it up. That's a shame. That's it really is a shame. It is really a shame, and I agree. It's a horrible shame, but honestly, if it, it didn't leave enough of an impact, it's not... Well, this is also inevit inevitable in, in the course of like a one-week listening and going back through our notes and then trying to like sort it all out. It and could like, be oh, that, but, that track of, but... But it's true. But, now, I get your point. I get your point. There's, there's a... There is, I keep saying muddiness, but well, there's a there's a muddiness to the album as a whole that sometimes you know, it bleeds together a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think this is a great place to move on to the sixth track called "Sudden Organ," which I love because I want to imagine that they titled it for the reason that simply the song starts suddenly with an organ. So they the the, the yeah. band was so excited that they suddenly had an organ in their album that they're like, let's call it "Sudden Organ." Yeah, so a, a little bit of cheekiness at this point. I don't know <laughs> that. I don't know that it is actually the reason. I feel like it. Could oh just... no, I'm sure that is. I mean, yeah, it's a quivering so? organ that begins and and. I mean, granted, all organs quiver, but this had some motion to it. They had, there was the first, I think it's the tantamount to a climax, I think, with this album in terms of, uh, in terms of just its, its, its volume peak. It had a lot of motion to it, especially by the time the drums came in. Uh, the, the drums rhythm. themselves. Yeah, yeah the, rhythm the rhythm is, is was, really solid. It's got this very... It's significantly more fleshed out as well a, by adding in those shakers. Well, it's, it's that rounded kind of pitch-encompassing drum style, the kind that I also noted back in uh, sort of middle-period TV on the radio. They like to do a lot of that stuff. Very very heavy in the drums, where it feels like the drums are are, are paramount, the, the, the prominent figure. And again, it goes back to your earlier point, where if in the rest of this album there are there is the issue of lacking a prominent figure, well, then this kind of succeeds in one area. First but, by the organ, then by the drums. And also with the vocals, and also with the guitar. Everything seems to be coming together more cohesively here in propelling one another uh, forward because the vocals in my opinion this is probably the best vocals on the album up until this point might be the best vocals on the album as a whole really they they feel more sustained they feel more less meekness is involved here well i, mean, I felt less i confidence. felt less meekness interestingly in the in the female vocals um because they kind of took that sort of flat but but uh, smooth Mimi Parker edge. Here, I don't know. I don't think I saw exactly what you what or heard exactly what you heard with the um, uh, with the vocals because it felt like they were back to back to prior. They were taking the back seat. I felt the organ as the as the forefront. I mean, you kind of can't take your mind off of it in 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 many instances. It, even in the comping, it feels very present, and it's certainly present later on during the 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 extremely manic uh, solo that it has. But the guitar was also doing its thing uh, along with the rhythm, and the guitar here feels like it's got a, a better purpose. Not a better, a bigger purpose than what it had in previous tracks. Okay. I feel like the guitar is actually moving the song along instead of being the the safe riff over and over again. Because while the, we're not going under, undergoing great uh, metamorphosis here, it does feel like it's propelling 
Well, another thing that moves the song along is the the C, uh, the bass just falling down to the soul in like C major. It kind of falls down actually in C mixolydian, just C, B flat, A, G. Um, and we don't really seem to leave that chord very much. In general, it's just all C major. Um, but yeah, more C mixolydian because it seems to be B flats just everywhere thrown around here. And that seems to be the pattern that, that uh, I also, you know, Again, there's always a pattern that that, that these tracks were, uh, go back to, and that in this case, that's it. And I couldn't really take my mind off of it after a while, and that was a negative. Well, I think that even though this song seemed at the forefront more accessible, possibly more engaging, it was, and even though less repetitive, I felt like mm. the well, I guess yeah. it's a toss up, right. but I feel like even though the song was more accessible, I I didn't enjoy it more, and typically. I mean, we, we, we poo-poo on accessibility, but the reality is you, you sometimes want artists to have moments of accessibility. However, however, I feel like I didn't really want accessibility here. I wanted them to continue what some of these other songs were building to, this arc in the album. That goes back to, that, that goes back to the climax notion that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. The idea that, like, well, this is a climax for the album only because it seems to step out of their shoes a little bit, right? But true, to its, to its form... In doing so, it steps away from where they excel best. And they excel best in their shoegaze territory, as we've proven so far and will be proven again. Um, the only advantage is, of course, that probably, I, I don't know, I think I, it depends on how you define enjoyment. If you define enjoyment as as busyness, well then, marginally speaking, this track might get you a little bit more. But I don't think that's where this album was going. This album's... This I don't album, know that I use the word enjoyment. Uh, did you? No. You enjoyed this track less, I thought you said. Or no, I said it was I don't know. more accessible. <laughs> very fine lines, very fine lines. Anyway. Well, were the other tracks were, were murmuring, were quiet. Guys just can't quite get the words out. They were trying to say something, but you have to strain to hear. This is just someone rambling off in the corner, maybe a little bit yeah. too loud. There's, there's just too much going All on right. here to make it really flow into and out of this song it's it to for me yeah individually this is might be my favorite track as far as ones with vocals because there's another song without vocals coming up that i thoroughly love but it's still less about the cohesion of the actual album it may be the climax but the climax is a little out of sync with everything else yeah, this is a very roundabout even a favorite roundabout way of describing this just flat out you know okay We've accepted. Shoegaze, that's probably what you're going to this album for, in which case you're going to get a, a, a few tracks which really, really push that further. But, you know what? If you also happen to be really, really big on organ, we're going to just cross that niche, all right? That's, 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 as, that's as much as it comes. And I think they were, they were very cheeky, as I said at the outset, even just by, by titling this Sudden Organ, because they knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing just that. They were throwing that in there, a random thing, amidst... Uh, amidst a fan base that is otherwise probably not here for the organ. And by the time we get to the solo, I suppose that's pushed even further, because it's like distortion for organ. This is where the, uh, the organ really, really takes uh, the, the forefront, because it pushes this kind of manic state as of this point uh, on, on the track, let alone at this point of the album. It's, it's, it's jerky, it's all over the place, there's lots of like tonal clusters in here just jamming the notes together that's the way it kind of fills out the dissonant edge and it it's filled with this some kind of stress i don't know i, I, I at least 
I don't know who, what character this is supposed to embody, but especially by the time we, uh, we're looking at the lyrics, like, toward the end here, I forget whether there were lyrics to follow this solo or not, but just, um, take this for example. Well, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that I want to shoot it in the back. As the I days love... go by, I'm stepping on them all like ants, and I've seen the way that they look at you. Or maybe you, or maybe not a guess. We'll know it after a while. I'm wondering just how this will stop. How's it gonna stop? I like that. Yeah. In a different context. I mean, that would have been really cool in maybe a, a punk song or a true grunge grunge song. But to have it sort of scatterbrains, a little bit manic when you really go more depression in the previous parts and the further parts of this album. It's just that weird outburst. It's just yeah. that, that, that... But the funny thing is, vocally, and we said this already, that there's... There's no actual outburst going on here, as far as I hear it. The, the lines, especially the line you you you, uh, you reacted to, when I'm pretty sure that I want to shoot it in the back. Pretty sure that is the same level, unchanging, uh, overlay that that this, the vocals have always done since the beginning of, of of this album. And that's where it becomes even odder for this 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 this. Yeah, well, album. odder also because then you figure someone is very calmly i don't know talking about murder well yeah obviously it's probably like an issue it's metaphorical and all that stuff but it's yeah it's it's an uncomfortable moment and yes even more uncomfortable by by how calm he says it i'm angry yeah i'm furious yeah but that's like the diary entry that later on people are are gonna read after you've done something stupid you know, yeah, it's sort scary. of the repetition. So shut we're out the saying noises, a page out, out of John's noises, book, diary at some point. I don't write a diary. <laughs> <laughs> I dictate. But, but Thank I God you don't. <laughs> but before we, before we move into the next track, though, like my problem with the organ, though, too, is it it's very standoutish in the beginning, and then by the end, it becomes a caricature of itself, and I just feel like yeah, yeah, that yeah. solo does a lot to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and also and and, it's that classic uh, solo. You're getting carried away with yourself a little yeah. bit, especially by the time the the rhythm starts getting really jerky. It's it's cool, but it's cool for a different medium, just like John said earlier, in a different context. There's yeah. so many things about this track that I think would be cool in a different context, but you know, from there, I think it's about time to to uh, go on to a worrying thing, track seven. And if the previous track would be the climax of the album, I feel like A Worrying Thing really is the best representation of the album as a whole. It's it's soul if you really want to get that deep into it. Because it's not too low. It's not those levels of, of quiet, of contemplative, of numbness that you were really getting in the, in the very beginning of the track. It seems to have a little more superstar watcher in it. Yeah. It has... It has that easygoingness to it, but it remains enjoyable throughout the song. Another reason for that is, uh, of course, a new element of texture here. A guitar that almost sounds acoustic. I don't think it is acoustic. I actually think it's no. a, very, a very tinny, possibly very bright electric guitar. But it almost comes across as sounding acoustic. After that, it's just kind of jamming in major. Very uplifting, but at the same time almost it... deadening at the same time. It's... It's... Uh, it's 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 an oddball. <laughs> I had said it kind of almost felt kind of folky, and in the sure. way you describe it, it does fit that kind of folk framework. I also really like that the song had that rolling drum work. You know, this is another song where we're getting an interesting rhythm that accentuates the song, but doesn't overtake it. And then it's got that mellow nature that the early track, you know, the first track had, that kind of all rolled together gives this conveyance of contemplativeness again, which we go back to. But it was still a two-dimensional track, and in this case, it 
it being only the kind of contemplative, ooh, you got some depth, but also a little worrisome, that combination of the two pieces was good enough. It was good enough for me to enjoy this track. I'm not looking for a lot of, like, real existential, why are we here in the universe this, type in- introvertedness. I think this album is a mild, mild uh, uh, skirt of that concept. That That's about it. I mean, you know, from, let's say, the 18-year-old concept, but... um their concept of the existential reality, which is pretty meek. Um, well, it's also that they've, they've kind of got an everyday life outlook on all of the tracks. All of the lyrics kind of go in that direction. I mean, even for, for this one, will you ever say what I fear you're dying to say? Well, well, I don't mind if you don't think about it. Like, it's first, all the lyrics are very let me, straightforward. Let me take that a step further here, because there was an interesting moment about... Uh, there's an interesting thing about those lyrics combined with the vocals here, because it, just as we've been describing the vocals as being kind of flat, just simply there. Here, it's almost like a murmur in the background. Mm-hmm. It's like they went even softer still. So when you, when, you, when you revisit those lyrics, will you ever say what I fear you're dying to say? Well, I don't mind if I don't, mind if I don't think about it. Another sleepless night reading over by the only light, but I don't mind if I don't think about it. What scares me most, I'll keep from you. If you want me to, if you want me to, I'll keep from you. Doesn't it make sense? Does it make sense to you? Getting old, living life, twenty-two. Well, actually, flat out, uh, age right there. Not quite eighteen, but not far from it. Well, I don't mind if I don't think about it. Let's go far away. Let's leave today. If you want us to, we'll leave today. Will you ever say? There's longing in here. There's distinct oh, yeah. longing. Absolutely. But at the same time, so it, it's not so much a matter of 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 existential crisis as much as it is the fear that goes with all the problems that will probably lead you to an existential crisis if things don't quite go your way. It is interesting the way the uh, author is putting it here. The idea of don't think about purple elephants. Once someone <laughs> says that to you, like, you're going to think, you're about, gonna purple think about purple <laughs> elephants. But here he's it's impossible actually, not to. It's, it's the actual partitioning of I won't think about it so I can be happier not happy mind you not happy hence, at all but happier hence uplifting almost deadening as i described and i think that's a pretty valid way to go about it especially considering that's what i described uh a lot of that tv and the radio album was about seeds which we reviewed back in episode 122 not too long ago that again was well let's let's go toward the uplifting let's deaden out the reality if i don't think about it then it's not true and I felt like that album in many ways kind of failed. At least this succeeds in terms of lyrical content combined with the fact that I, it, as immediately, as soon as the song started, I was like, all right, well, this is very uplifting. At the same time, I feel kind of dead inside. Yeah, I it, feel kind of weak. It helps this, by the, the, that vocal work. This hence, is time that it's really shiny. Hence, the lyrics do have a purpose here, more so than previous cases. When you read them, you really do kind of get that extra element that you might not otherwise have gotten. But the difference is you have to read them, and that's a fault. It's no, not. I no. said in the beginning, I already get the uh, the idea. The lyrics are simply it's it's the diary entry that pushes you a step far, further. Right. You get the general concept. Now you have the story. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's valid. I'm not saying it's a perfect way to go about it. I'm just yeah. saying it, it's you know. what they're clearly trying to do. And yeah. that's why I call this song this the soul the of the album. The 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 pinnacle idea of what this album is trying to do yeah it does it's it's a great representation of shoegazing i don't think you'd get any argument from either us about that 
I think we're all kind of in agreement of that. Yeah, well, if it's labeled as such, then you won't. All right, track eight. I was the fool beside you for too long. So, too long. this song, I, I like how the intro is kind of tinkering. You know, they're not really kind of... This is the first time we're not getting an all-out something that's taking a step in the direction of where the song is going. It tinkers in the intro. It's a very slow build. They they milk it for all it's worth. They kind of bring in each instrument piece by piece. It's a and, very piecemeal song, which I really like. And that that's the that's to its credit. Milking it is exactly what I think we've been lacking on this album. Here we get it. It get this slow but prominent bass line, um, and it kind of mixes with this slightly tinny, almost chime like guitar riff. Uh, it might have even been harmonics if I recall. But interesting little tonal variance here. What you get is just in in this sort of slow rhythm, you know. Just in four time, it'll really harp on that flat seven here, that little mixolydian thing, where on the fourth beat, it just throws in this flat flat seven, and then the rest of the measure is usually anchored in in major. In, in major, um, it's almost that for pretty much the entire song, or rather teetering back and forth between that and 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 four measures where four measures where it goes down to a minor five. Uh, even so, I think the minor five is really more implied rather than being where it. Rather than being there, it's all power chords, so you don't really get full impressions of things. It's just, uh, just yeah, again, distant impressions. That's kind of typical for this album so far. But when the beat steps in alongside it, because you get that thump after several measures of this, that really starts pushing it uh, forward. I think it's kind of, it, it's strange what a fine line we're walking, when in many ways this track is using the same tools, but certain little things just seem to be more delicate, more thought out. It fits. It feels like it fits together better. It's just you know everything is at the right level. They're working together. It's almost as if they're all building and winding together around that baseline. Like in other tracks, they were forcing puzzle pieces together. This time, they, they just, just got fit the right nicely. Piece. Yeah. Yeah. There's an identity going on here. It knows this track knows where it's going to end up. It's not going to just show you a picture and then just that picture remains unchanging. There is some actual shaping going on here. And true uh, to that concept, of course, you get lyrics that aren't really, they don't need to go far beyond the, the title itself because the music does it. And this is pretty much exactly what you were uh, what you were hopping on in the last track, Matt, and that's the fact that, that this track, the music says it all. All you, need, all you have is the lyrics here. It's just um, the basic, I was the fool beside you. I was the fool beside you for too long. Uh, the only variance you get is the things about you that would drive me wild, still drive me wild, but now in a different way. Interesting little moment there, which makes you kind of scratch your head a little bit as to why they would choose that thought to be the standout-ish uh, um, lyrical uh, concept, especially considering you've you probably already, already drowned out the lyrics by this point and immersed yourself in the music. Well, because like I said... When talking about the vocals for this song, the vocals fit the kind of mix as far as sound-wise, but what they're saying really didn't matter for this song. And reading the lyrics kind of proves that, that they're meant to just kind of be this flowy, flowy part of the background, and, this they, is, and they serve that purpose. Sure. This is where the, the wall of sound that they had been doing in a lot of the other songs, here it actually has some texture going on. It has... I think it's all about progression more so it than texture. It has content. It offers no... no influx of texture to a further extent than many of the other tracks it's really more about it's, it's about the layering it's about the timing um execution and progression whereas other tracks were were for the most part flat they picked their concept and that had to be your your uh your still shot 
yeah. that it, you either accepted at the outset or you left it. This track, there is room for expansion. There's growth. There's narrative. Yeah, it it really kind of does flow. It's, it, it's it's actually a very very simple way of of describing what we often come to uh, where we come to blows in many other tracks and many other albums where we're grappling with that point of well what is your what is your goal here are you trying to build a still shot or are you trying to actually um, uh, form a message and the funny thing is that I think this is it, it's forming a still shot within its progression within its little musical storytelling because the message is only uh is only the title i was the fool beside you for too long you know it the second you start playing and yet you kind of get the story over the course of this marginally speaking but you you get it (laughs) i I can't explain that any simple it is actually there all right Track 9, The Whole of the Law Loops, which is actually uh, a cover. It was a cover even when it was released in 93, originally by The Only Ones. And ooh, they, the lyrical content is the same, but the, uh, they, they pushed this far beyond what that original track was. I got nothing for this song. I don't know. It didn't really do much oh. for me. I felt like it was stale. I just uh, yeah. this no, was closer really, this to the earlier pure... stuff that I had issues with. I agree, John. It's just There's... it didn't really do anything or go anywhere. And this after is... we had such a great track before it, I just felt it fell flat. This is the track that that um, decided to actually give us a four chord progression, and it was a pretty standard four chord progression. In that, it's sort of a one minor three minor six uh, and four. Um, it, you might find this in Oasis's Wonderwall, albeit faster, to the point where it's not really comparable. Uh, same deal in Foster the People, Pumped Up Kicks. Same chord progression, but none of them as soft as this particular track. Uh, I found it pleasant, but I can't argue with you on Dale. It seemed that there was another vocalist stepping in there, which made me kind of consider Simon and Garfunkel for a time. I actually thought, um, obviously they've written immensely more complex tracks but at least just in the vocal quality i was given the same the same soothing edge as i might get from uh simon and garfunkel or say kings of convenience something like that um it was pleasant but that was just in the vocals and then i have very little to say about the music itself it's just it wasn't it wasn't very memorable that it wasn't very engaging and again i think we got such a, a brilliant eighth track that the ninth track was Doomed I, I to can't, can't call eighth track brilliant. Well, and not then brilliant. At the same I'm, time, I'm overreacting, but I just feel like the, the eighth track had much more of an impact, so the ninth fell that much flatter because there was literally no and, impact. And it's a shame because I think the ninth really did have potential. I think that this race mm. soft framework was building something interesting. Then, of course, they do change up that four-core progression. Yeah, but they've uh, done soft stuff enough. like this on other parts of the record that had more meaning, and it was an original, whereas this is they chose to cover something and didn't really do much with it. Oh, well, they... Compared to the last, compared, compared to, to the track they covered, they did something with okay, it. Okay, but compared but, to everything else in the album, they didn't really do much with it. That and I may, would agree it with. It may very well with. just have been a um, uh, point of convenience, Filler? considering no point of convenience, considering that the, the lyrics themselves probably fit the overall goal that they were uh, that they were driving at. You know, it's it's a love song in a way, but I like that that concept of the whole of the law loops, like this uh, this recurrence of. Of, of events, cyclical nature of life, as it were. I'll escape from my change, and I'll reach out to you. Maybe I'm in love with you. Maybe, maybe I'm in love with you. I had to contact you. Found out I was in love with you. I had to contact. That's it. That's the law. That's the whole of the law. It's you know, a little, it's, it's inevitable it's, that I will contact you. That that kind of... 
and has a little bit of the creep factor that they oh had. yeah and it's got that, it yeah. you got that but the funny has... thing is actually the original was pretty creepy when you consider the vocals yeah, yeah. the yeah. original from 1978 uh, by the the only ones um, not exactly uh, not exactly high art but but it was interesting it was interesting definitely worth hearing I guess just for the sake of just for context yeah, yeah. Um, from here we go all music is worth hearing Matt you know that. I might argue that for some music. At a later date. Anyway. Um, the next track, track 10, is actually a return to the first track. Big Day Coming, second version. Second version. So sort r- of a r- reprise. R- it was, remix. It, 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 reprise. Well, actually, yeah. More, more than a remix than a reprise. Yeah. It was... It was they, they rebuilt the song. It's a whole three minutes shorter because it moves faster. So it's heavier, faster, more erratic. Still kind of repetitive and still kind of uninspired. I found kind of like the second track. This drifted more toward the grunge than it did the shoegaze. It tried to grunge it up a little bit. Um, I felt that the song held more weight when it was more shoegaze. When they grungified it, it just just felt... It still felt repetitive. But then you gotta consider... Then you gotta consider... Goal. At this point in the album, I feel like nothing has been resolved. Absolutely nothing. Right. We have come from an from a track. I, I consider this from a theme, thematic standpoint. Right. We've come from a track where he had to contact you. He he had to go out there. He had to put his balls in the line, and now the big day is still coming. We are back to the, we're it, back to the beginning. It adds an inevitability. I, I to get the album. The, Do you get the sense, perhaps, like I do, that this was not her, his reaching out was not met with uh, the best of uh, results? Probably. Or maybe he. Yeah. Maybe he's still going. And one thing that might even speak to that theme work is the melody in this song. I feel like it's an incomplete melody. We've talked about well, this. Well, yeah. In song. the first track, we said too. It was now, the this, same melody. This right here, it was like. And it's not something I would normally notice, but here it just felt like it was right in my face. It felt like there were notes just physically missing in this uh, song. No, for me. like, you mean missing at compared to the first track? No, missing from what they were doing with even the melody. In, even in the, the first track. To, not even. I'm, I'm ignoring the first track. I'm looking at this, but this piece. I uh, feel like there's something lacking. I don't know. I think and what's the, going on. Yeah. Well, I think what's lacking is any her. sort of. <laughs> She's lacking. Yeah, in his the, life. It's the repetitiveness. The big day still coming. This, it's coming this around. and I felt this one was more repetitive than than the first track, probably because it was sped up. So they're moving through it faster, but then so you're getting that guitar riff over and over and over again at a more quicker pace. So you're getting bored faster. Whereas at least in the first track, because now it's more it's it's more urgent. <laughs> big day's coming. I'm telling you. <laughs> It's gonna happen for me this time. It just it didn't do it for me. I I, I didn't I, need a second I, version. I, I get. Think, wh- I, I think get, that when you consider that concept, I I, I think, get thematically. I just I still didn't really like so, it. So you're at that old split. Well, that's yeah. that's fair. But I I um I think it's interesting to, you know, not unlike kind of what we had to deal with in 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 Future Island singles, the concept of 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 uh ruminating over a relationship that may or may not have existed well here uh this is kind of the this is the going through the motions that i think a lot of people have to deal with uh, okay yeah. well you reached out it failed you pick up you move back along but you're a little bit defeated you're a little, you're not quite the same person i, I think th- this so far again the track the title of the album is called painful there's there's no there's no uh debating at this point whether that's what it's about it's just now whether you felt it was successful or not and I think, I think there's just that that one thing missing, uh, which is the overall passion 
that might that you might expect to go with all these tracks. But that's not the the the, the route that this, that this album is taking. The album so far is taking um it's taking the back seat. In other words, you try, you fail, you pick up, you're a little bit deadened. Well, that's actually closer to life, frankly, than all of the uh all of the rousing, passionate love and loss tracks that we or albums that we usually receive. I guess I kind of appreciated for that. Um but maybe it's not the best thing to be listening to in a time where you're actually dealing with said issue. I don't know. Let's uh let's wrap this up as of the last track. Track 11, I heard you looking. So this is another instrumental track. Um we from the get-go get a very sorrowful, contemplative feel. We're back into shoegaze again. Um but but the groove backbone of the song still kind of builds. It's not as plain as some of the other tracks. It does build, which we really liked in track eight, uh, and I'm glad uh, it's back here. And that's not to say the track isn't repetitive, that right. it isn't repeating the same riff over and over again, but here, I am very, very much interest, uh, interested in this riff. I very much am enjoying what's going on here. This feels like, and this is one of the main issues I have with with what's been going on with this album, this feels like the, the individuals actually are focusing on the track itself, on the song itself, in that they're, they're not checking out. They're not just playing to keep making music. They're playing because they have a very specific idea in mind. It's, it's almost refreshing. Well, I, I give it this, at least from a musical standpoint. The, uh, Again, it just utilizes that one note to just change the chord. It's just the, the single bass note variance. And, all right, maybe it wasn't as strong of an item before. This time it's a little bit stronger because it seems like there was more motion within that. It wasn't just the simple, like, like, like C, B, B flat, A, G that we got before. Instead, now it, it, it's a little bit more all over the place. The guitar itself kind of meanders along, but this time it feels tethered to an emotional melodic center as opposed to it, it, its ramble. But then again, it kind of rambles in its own right, yet that in itself feels melodic. And the song does have a focus, which I really like. It, it is still building around other things, like we had touted in the other songs that we really liked. It doesn't seem completely aimless, only parts of it does. It was more like a, a, um, a, a well-inspired uh, improvisation. Yes, and I think I, I like it as a, a conclusion also, because it just it feels, it feels like, according to your theme and arc that you're talking about, it feels very much like... The big day's coming again. It feels like most of this album was a failure as far as emotionally, you know, he's still back at square one. So now he's back to contemplating and feeling down because he's back at square one. It's like all of it was for nothing, which is, I think, overall, thematically, what this album is trying to convey emotionally. Sure. Is that it was all pointless. What was the point? Why even bother? Exactly. And you really get a sense of that from that song. And to, to feel very wow, much... Wow, 90s as, angst at its, at its peak. It really is. And it, it kind of gives a cohesion to this album that I didn't see origin, originally. I'll admit, I still don't... I still have issues with this record. But thematically and arc-wise, there's a cohesion that cannot be ignored. And, and the idea of working so hard to convey a futile non-change, something completely futile, is actually kind of awesome to me. I think that, that that futility, especially in the 90s, as someone who grew up in the 90s, 
being in high school, being angsty, there is this futility that you feel like every day, what's the point? I go to school, I get picked on, I go home, I'm miserable. I go to school, I'm picked on, I go home, I'm miserable. I, I, that I, I was five. I don't think I knew those problems yet. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel older. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's a strong way to wrap up this album. And well, wrapping up, I guess you, we'll start. Do, do you yeah. want to... Uh, uh, you can hey, all right, break it up, a, John. Uh, uh, he was on a roll, though. I was on a roll. All right, fine. I'll, I'll take us into the wrap-up. I'll give John a freebie this week. Um, Ooh. I don't know. I, I don't know why I sounded so aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really have no reason to be. Just sitting away. Anyway. I'm, I'm so hurt. You'll get over it. So, <laughs> Not with this album is anything. So dealing about. with you Painful by it. Yola Tango. Um, here's my problem with this record. Let's start with my problems. I, of all of us, usually have no issue with a band that's a little repetitive because I can, I can forgive it in place of content. But at least some of the other bands we've reviewed that have felt repetitive in moments like one of my favorite 90s bands, Eve Six, we've talked about how some of their music feels a little samey, but it has standout moments. The difference is I can always latch on to Eve Six lyrics. I love their vocalist, Max Collins, and they're very message-heavy. I mean, Steve said that with that album, for something that was hearkening back to the 90s, the emotional message was a through line that really carried that record. Here, lyrically, there's nothing to really latch on to unless you read it. Now, yes, I will agree with Steve's point earlier that if you do read the lyrics after listening to the record, it does add a context to it that you might not have gotten, and that really does build it out. But ultimately, I still have to file it under fault, because ultimately, I feel, with music, you should be able to get everything out of it just from hearing it. Now, admittedly, John's always stated with lyrics, if you listen to an album enough times, you can really get a sense of the lyrics even if you didn't originally, which is also a good point. However, I listened to this album five or six times, and I still don't remember any of the lyrics. To me, that's a problem. Um, musically, there are moments that I really like. And again, the songs that were distinctly shoegaze, a genre I've never heard of till today, but I'm excited to actually go explore more and maybe check out their other records. The whole album didn't feel shoegaze. The, other, the rest of the album felt a mishmash of other stuff too, which again, maybe that's why this album is touted as one of their best, is because of the amalgamation of stuff that they pulled together, even though they tended to be mostly in shoegaze. Hmm. But that wasn't enough for me. However... I cannot ignore such a strong arc and theme. Um, especially talking about it the way we wrapped up and the way I wrapped it up. Digging deep into my own very gloomy high school years. Um, it Feeling a perpetual inevitability to fail is terrifying and horrifying. And this album kind of gives that cycle of a big day's coming, you're building up to it, you're working it out, you're making moves, you're trying to figure out what's what, and then at the end, ultimately, that big day's still coming and you have changed nothing. Nothing's different, nothing's better. It's just where it was. You're still ruminating in this sorrowful contemplation that you started with. That was fairly powerful for me, but I wanted more from this album musically. I need a tissue. <laughs> I really felt like I needed something more musically, and that's where it's going to hurt itself but as a band they're not average you know they do some interesting things i just wanted 
I wanted more rumination and contemplativeness. I didn't want songs like Double Dare, although paired with Superstar Watcher gave it more. But for example, From a Motel 6, um, Sudden Organ, um, even a worrying thing, even though I like it, you know, and then of course the redux of A Big Day Comes and the cover of the whole, the, the whole of the Law Loops. I just felt like these songs kind of hurt what the overall shoegaze sound could have been. But it does play into the theme that Steve mentioned. So you couldn't really have this album arc and theme without it. So it makes me conflicted, which is why I've gone on so long about it. But ultimately, I think, I think where I lie with, with, with a rating is it's, it's not a four. There are just too many faults I feel with it that I can't... I can't give it a four. You know, based on what we were talking about, even Aphex Twin last week, there's a level of skill and talent in every track that that you cannot deny. Whereas here, I just didn't feel it in every track. I needed more. So it's a 3.75 for me. It's not perfectly average. I don't think it's a 3.5 because I feel like there's more to it than there if you really look. But it's not a four. It's not... Actually, I'm going to bring it back, dial it back to a 3.6. 3.75 even adds a level of something something that's not there. So a 3.6. It's not perfectly average. It's not even perfectly average average. (laughs) It's just 3.6. We should just change all of our rating systems to it's not average, but average average. Then there's average average average, and then there's just kind of average. (laughs) This album does a great job. In describing ambivalence. It is such a perfect way of saying that. Even I was a fool to... I was the fool beside you for too long. Which is sort of a calling out kind of a song. Lyrically. And even emotionally. With the build up and everything like that. But then again he never says I'm leaving you or anything like that. He's still like I was stupid for being with you. Well, maybe I'm going to interrupt you before your explanation of that, but I feel like I feel like Matt was more on the ball here. I feel like ambivalence is not the word, especially no, no, for no. an album titled Painful. It's a painful area, true. I, I'll, I'll go with that. Perhaps yeah. there's an ambivalent front. No, it's, it's all about being indecisive. Every single track just about is about being indecisive. It is a teeter Of not being able to go one way or the other. Right. And I think that also speaks to the music itself. At times, it felt like it was going to be ethereal. It's going to be a soundscape. It was going to be ambient. And at times, it was trying to be a little bit concrete. But those ideas kept clashing. It kept it from really culminating in one or the other. It's it's a dreamlike state, but it's a dream you're not going to remember. It's going to be something you forget right away. It's not even going to be one of those weird dreams where you're holding a banana, you don't know what you're doing with it, but you're talking into it, and you're talking to Richard Nixon, and you're talking about the war, or something weird that your mind just shoots off on. No, this is, you're dreaming about work, and you forget it when you wake up. There's nothing, like, powerful, impactful about that that's going to stick with you. And maybe that's to its credit. Maybe that... That speaks to the idea of what they were going for here when you start talking about shoegaze. But frankly, that might be too far gone. Because with songs like Superstar Watcher, I Heard You Looking, and really a worrying thing, and I Was a Fool Beside You for Too Long, all really solid tracks. Even 
even like Double Dare and Nowhere Near, approached ideas of, of that I really liked, and they were shoegaze. Maybe a little bit of punk, maybe a little bit of grunge, maybe a little bit of this, that, and everything thrown in there. But they were that guy in the background who has a lot going on in his mind. All right, there's there's things going there. He just can't articulate it, which kind of sums up shoegaze pretty well for me on a personal level. But sometimes there is just nothing for them to articulate, nothing for them to say. They they start a thought and exactly that. They just stop. They they don't they don't know where they're going with it, and that's a big problem because they're tackling an idea here which. I think they did excellently. I just don't know if it was the best real theme to work on here. The best idea to go with here. And that's where I'm really drawing a lot of problems. So, there's no technicality here in the instruments or the vocals. That's that's going to be bouncing it up for me to hone in on. There's no... There's, there's so not enough besides theme going on here. And that's just so hit and miss with me right now. 325 It's really not a it's not a great album. It's good. There's it's a great concept maybe. <laughs> I guess that's what it boils down for me. It's a great concept that I think they executed well, but I don't think it was strong enough for the concept itself. Well, segueing from your maybe, I think this has a a more solid theme than many other albums we stretched to uh I mean, for instance, if we're just even looking la- as, as recently as last week, uh, Aphex Twins' album. Me and you were pretty, were pretty solid with, with that album's theme, John. Mm-hmm. We, we, it's not, but see, even that in itself is, is a more distant theme. And that's the concept of, oh, well, impressionist concepts that will change over the course of time. This is more on the nose, and this is something that is... is uh, kind of documentable because you actually have have the lyrics at that end. And one of the reasons why I like instrumentals though is because it does it does leave you uh leave you guessing and it's why last week's album was so fun to review. This time around, well, we're given the answers somewhat. Um they may not have jumped out to us at first, but you you kind of knew going in that you were going to get something that was that was pretty pretty difficult to grapple with, pretty introverted. Um and, well, that's just by the nature of what I described to you at the outset of what shoegaze is. Staring at your shoes, thinking about life, even on stage. Can't escape from it, even when you're, you're, you're jamming out, which in many ways is other people's escape. Well, nope, for you, that's just another moment to think about life and to try to convey it in, in some sense. And I think this album is a pretty interesting way to convey it. I think Matt already said uh, he stacked it up exactly as to why I as to why I enjoy this from a theme perspective, and he also summed up why it 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 suffers a little bit just because of the fact that those the the, the music itself. I I think the main deal here is that the passion was absent. Now perhaps that's just the deal when you're looking at something that's angsty. Um, the passion isn't always going... You don't always want to revisit that passion. Because if you do visit the passion that comes from being angsty, it's probably going to be a mess. It's going to be ugly, and it'll probably be more akin to something that was punk. This is a little bit subdued. It's the diary entry. It is the flat, earnest representation of who you are from the horse's mouth. 
and it conveys that pretty well. How could it convey anything else? I mean, it's from the horse's mouth, and then of course it it's it's very down to earth. It's very downtrodden, but also not all diary entries should be should be published. You know, it's 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 interesting. It's always it's always intriguing to to look back on, and I think that much like some diary entries that have been published there's there there can be some some solid uh some solid culture there just from looking really deeply into the life of one person and seeing the the uh the trials and tribulations that led them to a particular conclusion or in this case a particular restarting of the same problem which was really really tough to deal with and i i sympathize by the time that i read these lyrics which as matt said you have to then you start to really, really uh, empathize with, with, with this guy, with this character. Um, and that's not even counting, of course, the tracks which include female vocals, where he tries to offer a little bit of both sides of the story, but it's... it's it, it relieves me in the same exact conflict that, that you were at, Matt. And, and in, in attempting to reach the same conclusion, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to reach the same number or not, I think I have to go back to my 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 musical go-tos which are are really important that's what that's what it is in the end in the end you're looking at music you're not looking for oh let me pick up let me buy this 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 uh 1999 theme no that's not what people do <laughs> at best buy or or fye they they get music and the music if it if it if it gives you something off, right off the bat theme wise well that's 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 brilliant and someone really hit a high note um no pun intended but the deal is, the deal is when looking at the elements of this album, the things that they do bring together, I appreciate it for what it did in 1993 in terms of genre fusion. I think that was really important the more I consider the, uh, the amount of things that were brought together. When we listened to this initially at the outset, we were like, really? really? This is 1993? It didn't seem to really be like, you know, some kind of culminating point, let alone for them, let alone for music. But I really think it is. It's subtle, but it's there. And and perhaps it opened the door to all the stuff that followed in later shoegaze and then post-rock and other various genres that pursue more contemplative sides of things. That said, though, in each case, we've grappled with, with the We've grappled with the lack of moment. Instead, these explore long-form things, and you can't take this album uh, piece by piece. You have to take it as the album. You have to take it front to back. If you take out, let's say, a minute segment here, then you're dealing with problematic... uh, That doesn't even begin to cover it. You're looking at a a whole, a a piece of something that probably wouldn't intrigue. Um, Not to say that you should judge a great novel by just looking at a paragraph... You see how this keeps going back and forth here? Unfortunately, when it comes to music, I've often cited that it is often about the moments, and I think it's the moments where this album suffers. It doesn't attempt to convey anything strongly in any particular moment here, whereas it should. It should have. Instead, it, you're just left with the requirement um, upon purchase to look at the lyrics and, and read along with them, because the vocalist is, is, not, is not bellowing them. He's saying them to himself. That's, that's, I think, the biggest problem, which uh, will certainly not uh, bring this to a four. I think I'm... I think I'm right where you are, Matt. I think I'm at a 3.6, because a 3.6 pretty accurately conveys how this is just a little bit above that rounded, like, like average good album 3.5. I think this is just a... 
I think this is a very interesting concept in terms of its track-by-track -track notions. And the music falls short, but it does convey it in a loose sense if you're open-minded. That's it. Tying this back to originally what we had talked about last week in Steve's rush to mention a band that he was excited that had something new and didn't realize it was actually not new or sort of new, um, Extra Painful, which is the re-release. Um, on Spotify, specifically, and actually in stores, I imagine, though I have not purchased it myself, I listened to it on Spotify, it's a dual disc. The first disc is the original album, Painful. The second disc is demos, unreleased tracks, live tracks, extra stuff, extra painful. I see what they did there. Anyway, they give you extra of <laughs> painful. What are we, an hour, 30 minutes? <laughs> I know, I don't know. Anyway, so the, 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 what I want to talk about is do dual discs matter anymore? I mean, I remember, for example, there's another album recently that I realized, not on Spotify, but if you purchase the physical record, is a dual disc. It's MC Chris's latest record, Forever. There's like five R's at the end of it. Um, is a dual disc when you purchase it, but on Spotify is one disc. It's There's no breakup, no spacing, whereas on a lot of other dual discs on Spotify, they actually space them out by disc. Why? 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 <laughs> I'm guessing... Discs? I'm guessing... You're Spotify. I know. Guessing with this record, because one is the actual record and the other is the extra stuff, they wanted to space it out. Whereas MC Chris, it's one flow of narrative and theme that just happens to be too long for one disc. But, that's a pretty long CD then. But... That's a, that's a pretty long album to be more than one it's disc. It's over... I think it's over an hour and a half. That's a real long album. Um, I think he'd been working on it for a while, too. But my question is, ultimately, with all of this rambling, is do we still need dual discs? Can't we just call it, put it all on one disc? Or, in a digital age, just mush it all together like MC Chris did? Well, uh, if I may be the first panelist to chime in here, since you posed such an interesting question, I think the main purpose, um, because, of course, I, I understand your gripe. The gripe is pretty... It's pretty valid, even if this is just, you know, poking at, 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 at a small element of, of, of music etiquette, um, music marketing etiquette. Why do it? Why do it simply because we're, we're past the point of even referring to things regardless of the fact that we still call records records, even though they aren't records anymore. Why still separate things by discs if we don't, if we're not, probably not going to have discs anymore? Well, I would say precedent is the main reason. That's the easy answer. But there's a reason behind that precedent. Um... Just like there's a reason behind the precedent of still calling records records is that they were recorded. That was always the reason. We don't call them... We don't pick up CD, for instance, and still call them vinyls. That would be <laughs> asinine. <laughs> Nevertheless, there's a reason behind your... Um, behind what you pose. And that is, of course, the purpose that splitting discs serve. We experience them as a gap. We experience them as an intermission, an entourage. Okay. Now, this is... This, of course, the reason for that goes back to, like, 15th century opera, in which case you're dealing with very, very long forms of, of, uh, of art where people had to sit in a room for long periods of time during... With the, with with the unwashed masks. With the unwashed, exactly, you know, showering wasn't exactly standardized, but... Uh, <laughs> it gets hot. It gets hot. What are you going to do, of course? Break it up, you know, let people get some air, otherwise they're not going to be caring about your art that you painstakingly assembled upon for however many months that you had to go to, to kings and patrons in order to even get put on stage. Okay, fine, have a gap. 
after a while, people worked this very, very expertly into the art itself. Sure. Let's just break everything up and leave you on this, this gripping climax so that when we send people out there, into they're the talking, cold weather. They're going. They're just they thinking just, about they are, getting they're back like, to the They're like, holy crap, flag. what have we just seen? Exactly. It's a way, it's a it's a cliffhanger. And it's a mm. nice little cliffhanger when you couldn't have 24-episode TV series or part two movie series coming out in three, four years or something like that. It was a way just to get the guys back in the door, back passing whatever went for concession stands at the time, or just to get people excited about what's going to happen next. Maybe you'll have somebody ad-libbing a comedy piece in between everything or doing a soliloquy from a famous play from a few years ago or something like that in between it just for those people that don't even want to leave their seats. But still, you got to stretch your legs. Some of these pieces are, yeah, five hours, six hours long. Remember seeing Lord of the Rings in the theater, four hours, too much. That's too much in the theater. Hmm. I, I would have loved an intermission. Even the movies have intermissions. This is necessary. That didn't have an intermission? Dead. Lord of the Rings? Yeah, no, no, no. no. Straight. No, yeah, and that's, no, no. And that's really funny because, but, but they used to considerably. I mean, uh, considering I started off this premise with the opera, well, they continued that straight into into modern uh, Broadway, and that bled straight into the long-form movies that were very prevalent around the 50s and 60s. They had, for instance, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur is your classic example of, of the really long-form epic motion picture and it has oh. a very very epic intermission with the main theme coming back just as it did in the overture it served its purpose there and yeah it's fallen a little bit out of character uh out of vogue today in modern film but technically there's no reason to because i still think that purpose is apt we'll bring this back to music in a minute well what i and i get that i mean even i do sound for burlesque and work with a few different burlesque shows and they all do intermissions but a lot of the time that's also for the performers to have a moment I feel well, yeah, like there's any number of reasons. I feel like with music, especially in this case, in the two albums I cited, whereas MZ Chris smushes it together because there's no reason to break it up because it's all one cohesive arc. Um, this album, Extra Painful, there's no cohesive arc to that second disc, so why not break it up? I'm guessing is the logic. If it's all just extras and a mishmash uh, behind the scenes almost, if you will, that's why they broke it up. Of course. Well, in this particular case, it's it's more than obvious. This is, of course, not your classic example, simply because this actually, there is a purpose to each disc. The first disc is your reissue. That should be taken separately. The second disc is is all the extra stuff. So, yeah, if that was smushed together in some kind of super long-form disc, you'd have a little bit of a continuity thing, where if you were not staring at your track list, uh, as many people do, but also many people don't, just sit there and stare at the track list for the duration of listening to your, your, your album. Um, you could be listening to the car, you could be in any form where you're just listening to the flow of the record. Now all of a sudden you didn't realize that the last track on the actual album bled into your your demo or your unreleased track. That's that's a continuity issue for, for them. They want you to change discs. That's a perfect way to force them to do it. And there's also something that we're kind of glossing over, maybe even forgetting. Vinyls, cassettes, that <laughs> they had to be run the opposite direction or flipped. flipped over or something like that. Side right. two, side B. Yeah, no, I was getting to B that. B-side, that things that was like that. I mean, that well was... Into the... But that was actually because of the limitations of what you could put on side A. Exactly. That was not always purposeful. Some artists and a lot of artists... Uh, even the Beatles did it. I think Sgt. Pepper's was ideally done hmm. to be a 
side A, side B because of how dramatic the, the music gets between the two sides. I know that from the beginning uh, of, of vinyls, they there were there were attempts to to implement the same intermission uh, between concept. that flip. Yeah, between just as just as like I said, they well, did also... in, they did in in in, in plays, but. Uh, certainly limitations also led to instances where people could not just do it as artistically. And you have many cases where, uh, especially if you were trying to convey a symphony through, um, through vinyl, a lot of times it came off as very sloppy. You know, oddball places where you would never stop in the actual progression of your symphony. They'd try to cram it in with movements, but some, not all movements are the same length. So those are two... Uh, two mediums that completely clash. So I understand your point, John, is that there was the art artistic uh, origin of it and then there was also the limitation origin of it and sometimes they don't work out and the, i think the biggest problem nowadays is that people are still kind of adhering to the idea of having physical forms of media and having because, limitations just as you did and and not to say that it's a bad idea to have cds but well it's not the ideal way to store a lot of information in certain respects. Having a cloud system or having your purchase history on iTunes or individuals like that, using things like SoundCloud and what have having you. Having the ability to hold your entire library in the palm of your hand. Right, Pretty freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, because the thing with my iPod is, like, people were always like, well, why don't you just get an iPhone? Because my iPod is 160 gigs, the iPhone is 8. I can carry my entire music library on my iPod. And that inevitably will change. At, the, right. at some point, there's but, going to be no need for but, the... But for me, already. I think the, my hesitation... Like, I like the iPod because it's still technically physical media, just compressed into a small physical thing. As opposed to the cloud, where it's this ethereal thing in the air, where if you send your stuff to it, but something happens to it, it's gone. That's we're, the bigot. Well, that's that's what we're getting to. But uh, I just want to tie your two points together. Um, considering, John, you mentioned the fact that there is this need to 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 go back to the, the the limitation and think of the limitation in our heads. And as that was evident on vinyl, it kept being an issue. Uh, almost it's almost still... almost like like cyclically, it kept kept being an issue on tapes. Obviously, tape rolls end, and then on CDs, well, they they came up with a way to cram about seven hundred and seventy meg initially on your on some of your earliest CDs, and that kind of remained the standard. They were able to push that a little bit further, but then they really didn't manage to 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 ramp that up until DVDs, which are four gigs, and that never really took on as a as a form of of, of music storage. Simply because of the fact that uh, that albums were already deemed to be of a particular length, and if people, that's, if, if that's the problem. We accepted it as that length of that's approximately forty-five minutes that's, to ninety. That's, that's a physical limitation on a, uh, an area that no longer needs that limitation. That's a conceptual limitation. A conceptual we, limitation yeah. caused right. from a physical reason. Forty-five minutes to an hour doesn't have to be the length that's, of an album. No, it doesn't. There have been and many artists that, that, of course... We've, we've done a few reviews of really massive albums, of, of hitting 110, 120, 130. And for all, in one case, in the only case so far, that we've actually had a double, a true double-disc album, not like, you know, a split between, between was, remasters. Swans, To yeah. Be Kind, back in episode 96. And uh, the funny thing is, I, at first I didn't recall, but then when you think about it, there is a real build-up and, and, and conclusion to that first disc. Yeah. It actually ended with my favorite track, the uh, the 
the the the very droning track of all the <laughs> we're talking about existential behavior today well that track uh on the end of the first disc really exemplified it and it was it was manic and disturbing all at the same time it was a interesting way to leave you paused while you change discs if you have to it occurs to me though i think why spotify at least does this thing that irks me a bit I had a conversation recently with one of my favorite nerdcore rappers, although I guess I should use that term very loosely because I love them all. I love all of you guys. But Tribe One, uh, a, <laughs> a, 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 a Tribe One who's a very, very renowned rapper who's very good at what he does, has zero music on Spotify except for where he's been featured and his other band, Malibu Shark Attack, because they have a physical CD. That's the difference. The reason Tribe One is nowhere on Spotify and why a lot of Eli August stuff is not on Spotify, or even Painless Parker has nothing on Spotify, is you need a physical disc on selling from CD Baby or Amazon or somewhere, an actual physical disc that's in production. For Spotify to purchase. For Spotify to put in their storage, in their system, and put you on their sor- their system. Interesting. That's, so that, that's, 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 that's kind that's, of ironic when you think about that's it. Not a even cloud. I, that's stupid. I, that's, a, that's a ridiculous idea. Well, for starters, it's ironic, and if you want to believe it's stupid, it's stupid. But that, that's for a, a cloud company to, to have a bias against cloud artists. Well, the, the reason is, is because they need a way to get the content. They need a way to have it, and they don't want to purchase it from another digital service they want to have a physical version uh, do you know how many artists would just <laughs> send them the files and be like here this is it, it's in it's titled it has all the pertinent that's information because every file every file that comes on a cd wanna, every file that you, you get from pe- itunes no 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 i'm don't don't interrupt me here i'm on a tirade every file that you get from a from a cloud media has every little bit of what you want unless you're legally downloading it and then it's only about half the time it says the year it says track number cd number artist composer theoretically all these things are there theoretically more still is possible and well you find this of course you find this in the case of uh of 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 any torrented file even though that's kind of not what we're describing here but they'll try to give you even the pdf of the book jacket if they can get that in there and pdfs theoretically could have so much more than you would even get on the book jacket so it's infinite the possible the digital possibilities that are going with that file so for them to require a physical copy of a cd is just it's archaic it's asinine they are actually still keeping what they want to do from reading full culmination all right, well, Matt is itching to retort. The reason is, though, and good, bad, and different, is because it was probably the company was started by someone who owns CDs. That's probably the most basic answer. Is the reason they feel that that's the way it works is the people running Spotify, that's what they're used to. They're also, used to CDs, so that's what they want also, in order to create a library. Perhaps, it doesn't make it right, but that's possibly why. Fair. Also, perhaps I would consider the, um, I guess, the stigma that maybe... Uh, internet marketing still has. Not that it really has a massive stigma, but I, I suppose in terms of just just pitching yourself as more of a mature, having made it kind of artist, you're going to be sending out physical that, media. And that's what I think the difference is also, is that it... If it, you're band, lots of bands, for instance, start up and end on Bandcamp, and that's as far as they will ever go, because mm-hmm. they don't have... Maybe, maybe it's because they were held back, maybe because they never got around to it, maybe they just don't have the chops to really make it and take that next step. A lot of times it has to do with will. Is this just something that you did as a hobby, you know, that you're not really interested in doing as a profession, or are you the person willing to go all the way? Spotify and any major label wants people willing to go the extra but mile. But see, I have an artist that's a, that's an exception to that logic. 
Mm. And we know him. Painless Parker is a fantastic musician. The reason he doesn't have mass-produced CDs is because he doesn't... He, You've seen, if you've seen Panless Parker, he doesn't scream mass market anything. He, his CDs are handmade. He stamps them himself. He creates the prints. He makes them himself. Mm. The, the handmade is part of his aesthetic. If he had printed plastic CDs, it just it wouldn't be the same. And well, that's why he doesn't he do it. He walked himself into a special case in that. I guess. But it's also he doesn't feel like you need printed physical media that's mass produced to connect with an audience and that's fairly true it's just he's he's well that, that's the other thing that the people see any major uh, label is also going to be sort of wary of that kind of artist right because that kind of artist is going to he, he's the bohemian he's the quintessential bohemian he is looking to give his art directly to the people that's, that's who true. deserve it most and that means that he an order from the get-go he has the propensity to to bypass any record label so of course they're yeah. going to be wary of that of that guy that makes sense yeah but spotify is not that record no label they're not that's the funny like thing that. is you'd think that would go around they're the they're the opposite they're like here here's music for free if you want to pay us money we'll give you more features but here's music for free yeah because yeah. we're paying for it because we're putting it together and we're not gonna here well, welcome. all this all this kind of amounts to uh, the fact that I believe there's a snag that we don't know about uh, in terms of that uh, that mandate. They only have one computer to copy the songs onto. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that might be. Yeah, it. that's it. That it's it's it. a '98 Windows '98. That's the problem. Yeah, free cell. Just slow. Yeah. They still play free cell. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. All right. Ultimately, though, I think it's just a matter of. We could go on a huge tangent about Spotify, and I feel like that's... No, no, the whole thing, I, I, it, it sums up as this. Digital media is forever and further just becoming more and more oriented towards cloud in the pub public sector. Meanwhile, in the private sectors, when you start looking at governments and things like that, they're actually going further and further to the more physical ideas. They're getting away from the cloud, and these clashing ideas are causing some weird things to happen, like Spotify. Hmm. Um, well, when you mean private sector specifically, like, businesses are looking more and more. Think about what just happened with Sony and their hacking thing that happened. That was the point that I was getting to because ultimately, if there is a major defense for removable media, it is just that: is that removable media is not prone to the same kind of kinds of hacking and and uh, sudden eradication that uh, that clouds the cloud services ultimately are. Uh, you might think, okay, well, what is anyone gonna? gonna want to do with, with with deleting my Beatles collection what are they gonna what, what are they gonna gain from that okay fine maybe that's not that big a deal but let's say I'm listening to a a a sketchy new artist who is out there saying some some things about the government that 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 you know the government doesn't want heard theoretically in in your in your brave new world the government can step in there and say this is unfit of course this is this is uh r romanticizing fiction here uh sensationalist kind of stuff but it it has been known to happen in the past and we're entering territory especially when you're dealing with like people like isis sitting over there theoretically this is what could be a future of anyone who who uh who willingly lets this future happen then there is going to be that possibility where if there is any form of art that it, that does that a government or an institution does not want out there, they can step in there and just simply delete it. And you won't have any choice over the matter because removable media, if at that point, will not be present. There's also a further, you don't have to go with governments or someone with all reaching powers. 
Just think about Sony is producing an artist. The artist breaks contract with Sony. Sony has the ability to go and next time your device connects, delete your song because mm. they're pissed off at the artist because of what they did. It's, it's, this, that's actually a lot more likely than the government even getting involved. Just the fact that they can revoke the licensing. They don't even have to delete it. If they can fool around with the licensing, it doesn't matter. You can't play it. Mm. And then we go into that whole neighborhood of DRM and limited digital content. You can only download it to a certain amount of places so many times. There's, there's The a- best news that I've gotten in the last month is the fact that the U.S. government is trying to make it um, make the internet a service industry such as plumbing or electrical, which means that all the internet organizations are not going to be able to put in the quote fast lanes, are not going to be able to physically limit our download speeds or our information connection or anything like that. Because the government is actually stepping in and standing up to Everyone from AT&T to Time Warner Cable to all those groups. There's a lot of people saying That is amazing and great and is a step in the right direction. Obviously, this has been going on for several years now, and there's lots of people who stepped in there to, to take that stance. And it needs to be done now because we're still kind of in the beginning, the, the, the new era of, of yeah. these issues. We, it's still infantile in yeah. its legacy. Yeah. For sure. We're, 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 we just reviewed an album <laughs> that didn't know these issues existed as of its time. That is <laughs> true. 93... Uh, yeah, you're not dealing with a very widespread internet. So, m- moving forward from our topic to wrapping up today's episode, um, I made a joke last week that we wouldn't have to do spam ever again if we got a fan mail every week. Well, we conveniently got another fan mail this week. Um, and Steve is going to read that for us. It's actually a return message from Knockjaw, our friend who, uh, Jose, who had reached out to us about Daryl. That's right, he recommended Daryl, which we reviewed back in episode 114. And he reached out to us with such. All right. Dear Crash Chords Podcast, right off the bat, I want to give my excessively overdue thanks to you guys for taking up my suggestion of reviewing Ohio by Daryl. I learned a few new things about the co- composer of that album's tracks through your musical diagnosis, as well as learning how to better understand and appreciate music itself, and I am very grateful for that knowledge. So sweet. (laughs) Speaking of which, I recall John requests that someone send him the lyrics to the album mentioned in in said episode. He keeps the timestamp awesome. Two hours, 14 minutes, 38 seconds, if anyone had them. And thank you very, very much. In the case that no one's done that yet, I've attached them to this email, uh, but I'm afraid that they might be hard to understand because not because of the image quality but because of the way the words are presented on print i am not exaggerating when i say that the lyrics seem to be a huge run-on sentence a shame really on a side note i have been completely enamored with a band i recently discovered while listening to some of your archived episodes and that band was arctic monkeys I haven't been as transfixed by the sound of a band since a friend of mine introduced me to the gorillas and cage the elephant I honestly think all of their bands, all their albums are worth being reviewed, but I I know that that request is far too selfish of me to be fulfilled. That being said, if there was one album that I could ask you to review, it would be their third album, Humbug. I find that that's their most musically and lyrically quizzical album, in my opinion. That's intriguing. I never heard of an album being described as lyrically quizzical. Lastly, I want to wish you gentlemen a most prosperous new year, and judging from your new writer, Tony Tony's new article on uh, on the band Mostly Other People Do the Killings Blue Album. I very much look forward to the content be produced in the coming months. Cheers, Jose. So, Nakja, um, 
we're gonna be best friends because you just named three of my favorite bands the out of this moment. Duh. Uh, come on, Cage the Elephant, Gorillas, and Arctic Monkeys. Monkeys. Come on, we reviewed two of them and talked about Gorillas all the freaking time. We too. We said it was looking through the archived episodes, and we, 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 yeah. we did review. David then again, we, we've also I know. we've also reviewed bands we we didn't like. Even though much. I don't think we ever really. Did Interesting that he mentioned uh, Arctic Monkeys also because I was just driving uh, in 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 the car with my friend the other day and he had on playing that album uh, a. It's reviewed back in episode 66, by the way. And, you know, I remember I remember being very intrigued by it at the time. I wasn't blown away by it, but I remember being very intrigued as of the time we reviewed it. And then it seemed to get more stuck in my head on Me this too. particular list and around. So uh, who knows? We might see a, a, a even a year-belated um, uh, rating rising going on in, in, in the 2015 year in review. It could be, yeah. Um, and with the theme of fan work, um, I do want to talk about our fan who we read an email from last week, um, Mr. Mark H. Um, he had put in a fan request for us, and it's about time we do our January fan request, and I'd like to use his suggestion. Um, I'm going to put off my album of choice till next month, and we're going to do his suggestion of D'Angelo's new record, Black Messiah, which did come out at the tail end of 2014, and... I'm actually really excited to review this album because it's gotten a lot of really positive review and there's been a lot of hype about it. So, so did so did this album. So did, so did extra painful and painful. So we're moving that. past that. Okay. Um, wow. So out with the old, in with the new. So Mark, I want to thank you for your suggestion. We are going to take that on next week. So tune in for that. Um, Steve will of course reach out to you via email to let you know when it's gone up, just in case you're not following us on iTunes yet, though you should be. Um, but thank you for that suggestion. I'm actually excited to hear it. And I guess this is a great place to say, as we do every week, music is life and, and life, life is, is good. good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.